This is Rich Lescaflair, and you are listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris, Peter, and Jessica discuss the different virtual tabletops. In the news, Evil Genius Games sues Netflix, a Dungeons & Dragons Planescape preview, new Pathfinder 2nd Edition playtest material, and more, plus a brand new sketch about a keen detective hot on the case of a murderer. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. Ooh, an ad for something I actually like. That's a turnout for the books. Burbaker Unlimited Moat Builders will provide your keep, castle, or hovel with a secure defensive system. Choose from their wide range of moat fillers, including lava, piranha schools, sharks, acid, zombies, boiling tar, or water. How mundane. Anyway, buy one moat, get a free drawbridge while stocks last. I think I'll get one myself. Maybe it'll stop those horrible kids throwing eggs at my laboratory. All the tabletop role-play news. We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ. And with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ, as ever, it is a delight to be here. And joining us now, having missed a little bit of nap time due to playing some Baldur's Gate 3, it's the one, it's the only, it's... It's me, Jessica from EM Publishing, and yes, I stayed up too late last night playing Baldur's Gate 3. No spoilers, but I was doing the Githyanki Crush bit, and I, did, I didn't I did want to finish playing until that section was complete, because it was good, and there were story things, and I wanted to know all the things. So I'm a little bit tired today, but it's Friday, so, you know, the weekend's so you, coming. Have you got so. another weekend of... Uh... Yes, I will. Yeah. I will. <laughs> I have no plans, had no plans this weekend. And I was kind of chatting to my other half like, oh, what are we doing this weekend? And uh, he was kind of throwing some ideas and he's like, you just, you just want to play Borders Gate, don't you? I was like, I do, I do just, yes, mm. that is what I would like to do. And he's like, okay, that's fine. I'll go off and do my own thing. Common feature of Jess. Yeah, he's a, a widower for Baldur's Gate these days, but that's oh, fine. Wow. He's got his own okay. hobbies, I, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but what's happening in TTRPG? Stuff has happened this week. Yeah. I have, well, the, yeah. Oh. the most exciting bit, I think, is uh, <laughs> Evil Genius Games suing Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Quite yes. entertaining. That was the gossip, yeah. yeah. Yes, so this is this is interesting. So Zack Snyder, who is the director who did some DC films, mm-hmm. is making a movie mm-hmm. called Rebel Moon, which comes out, I think, like really soon. And basically, NBA, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's kind of like a space opera Star Warsy type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's making a movie called Rebel Moon, which is coming out soon mm-hmm. yeah. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And Evil Genius Games, and they made that. Do you remember that Everyday Heroes game, which was based on D oh! Twenty Modern, and it had all yeah, those licenses yeah, yeah. like King mm-hmm. Kong and Highlander, and, and like loads of sort of eighties films and stuff. They had yeah, like ten yeah, of them. Or yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they um, got into an arrangement with Netflix to make the official tabletop RPG of Rebel Moon. Mm-hmm. Rebel Moon, they did Everyday Heroes, which I have seen... Well, I've seen the cover. I really wanted to talk to them, but I've got the shots up. Uh, Dragon, 
proper UK games expert. Mm. Um, see, like nice people. Yeah, yeah. I was reading about this. It's like, what did they do? They did like um, big old two hundred eighty page players handbook. Yeah, free, loads of stuff. Free yeah. hand- I basically i I took the cap the page count that was listed mm. nine hundred and ninety five pages mm. from what was it? It was a March or May start. Yeah. yeah. So like, and and if you know anything about publishing, you're like. I'm sorry, Peter. They well, no, that's, that's when the, co- the contract was cancelled in May. I think they started right. that. I think. Yeah, they, they, they started like March or May. It was it's, March. It's they were, yeah. yeah. They, 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 in like two or three months, they wrote the whole thing and they wow. just went full. I think they wanted to get it done quickly because I think Rebel Moon's coming to December in December. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think they wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Well, they, but, they yeah. had a tight deadline, but also I'm going to say they were incredibly excited by this opportunity. Yeah, well, yeah. They, made, they made three things. Yeah. Yeah. So they made a player's guide, the GM's yeah. guide. And also, and this is the really contentious bit, a world bible. Yeah. So and this world lore. bible, I mean, this is quite common. Didn't exist before. Yeah, yeah. This is quite yeah. common to sort of franchises and things, so that other developers can come along and they can use that world bible. And yeah. this is, you know, it's, it doesn't get published. It's an internal yeah. thing. But it's yeah. usually a st- substantial thing. I think Wizards of the Coast had one for Forgotten Realms and stuff mm. like that as well. Mm-hmm. Woo! That, uh, that's like several... <laughs> several a yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that World Bible was also a dot, it was developed by um, Evil Genius because there was a lot of apparently um, sort of big gaps in the script where yeah. things would just sort of say Alien A. And Evil Genius came along and sort of filled that out in the World yeah, Bible yeah. as to what that was. They've watched Star Wars, they know what the expanded universe yeah. is. They're just getting in on it and saying, hey, how about we have stuff so people can have yeah. informal speculation? But the thing is, this but, is all uh, Evil Genius's work, yeah. stuff that they came up with. And yep. um, that stuff is being used, apparently, in the film and in further properties, like a video game and, you know, cause yep. this, because they're planning on, like, uh, Netflix is planning on fully franchising this, um, you know, yep. making it a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what they did. And then yep. in May, Netflix turned around and cancelled the contract, yep. uh, claiming that Evil Genius had two confidentiality breaches, apparently. Yep. Um, we don't know exactly what they are. Well, um, some um, people have guessed, but we yeah. don't know. But we don't know exactly what they are. What mm. I've had a, my understanding was that it was they were showing some images at the Gamma, the Game Manufacturers Association yeah, Expo. Yeah. But apparently, Evil Genius had okayed it with Netflix to show them yeah. there. They'd even said them like, "Hey, we're thinking of showing these at Gamma. Yeah. Is this well, okay?" This is kind of speculation. Though. That's what people think they're talking about. There might be something else yeah. though, that they did. But um, and okay, well, that's the speculation. Well. But that's yeah, the current. That, that, and there was one other thing as well. I can't remember what it is offhand. Yeah. Oh, uh, they had some images that were on a website server that could theoretically be accessible to. I see. Yeah. Okay. As I understand it. Right. Okay. okay. So yeah, so Netflix used that as a reason to cancel the contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Evil Genius turned around and said, ah, 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 "We've done loads of work for you. You're yeah. using." The work, like this yeah. world bible we made for you, you're actually using. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you got to pay us for our work. Yeah. Um. So the streaming company, they did actually offer to pay fifty grand for the work done so far. Mm-hmm. Um. Which, on one hand, is about fifty dollars per laid out page. Sure. Yeah. Massive menos. Yeah. But um, on the other hand, it's like Avatar: The Last Airbender, which you know is a movie franchise made. What's it? A uh, thick end of nine and a half million dollars. Yeah. And like. I that mean, was just the launch, yeah. Yeah, and you got, like, what, a Zack Snyder film? And, like, I'm not a huge fan of his work, but the man does make films, which a lot of people really like. I respect yeah. quite a lot of his craft, to be fair, for mm-hmm. instance, Sucker Punch. I actually 
and prepared to talk about that because I think that's actually quite an interesting film. Yeah, I but like yeah, either well. way, a big name in Hollywood, mm. and that's going to launch, and there's going to be a role playing game. And it's about science fiction. Mm. I mean, I I think like a hundred thousand would be off the low end of what they could expect to raise. Mm. I'd expect them to raise something like I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they might break a million, they might not, but yeah. fifty thousand is just not covering. Like it's 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 really insulting to be honest, mm. and it's taking the IP and the property rights. And all of that, and it's yeah. like, so they could then print it, get someone else to print it as their own role-playing game. And it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Netflix, wow. Netflix yeah. is saying that all of Evil Genius's work belongs solely and exclusively to Netflix. Bold choice. Yeah. yeah. Which is not true. If they cancel the... Yeah. Well, we, we haven't got a contract, a copy of the license, yeah, to be fair. Maybe I, was, I was like, oh, really? Maybe that is what they agree. Well, that would be highly it. unusual. That would be highly unusual. If that was it wouldn't game. surprise yeah. me, though, that if in the small text it ends up saying that way, and you know what mm. I mean? Yeah. But, but generally speaking, when you cancel an agreement like that, you, the, the licensee, no, the mm. licensor doesn't get, doesn't get ownership of the licensed material. It's just that the licensee no longer has the right to publish the licensed material. Basically, it vanishes into a black hole because that would be yeah. the fair thing to do. But I think a lot of people do do the do what Netflix is claiming that they do say we own it kind of forever hmm. in sneaky legal ways. But if you think it's a big corporation like Netflix, they'll have a whole legal team that and negotiating that contract must have been a whole thing. Yeah, but then people negotiate with Disney and the Star Wars games that didn't have that and the Star Trek games like. Paramount's a big company, you know. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I, I just, uh, I just think twenty twenty three really is the year of evil corporations. Like, well, well, you say <laughs> that, but don't don't forget In we've RPG. got a recent strike resolution with the screenwriters. That's true. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, actually, no, we 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 rather than continue to use lose half a billion dollars, right? Half five hundred million like studios were set to lose. Just as a result of the screenwriters' problem, mm. they're like, actually, no, maybe we should just give them some money. Like, five million is a lot less than we're losing. So mm. we should we should probably just actually give up at this point. So I think maybe that's got something to do, because I can't really see the Screen Actors Guild thing going any different way. Like, you know, it's a... Uh, it's a... Uh, I mean, like, yeah, it's industrial action. Yeah. Uh, just for reference, I am just some random British person who doesn't, he's not involved in the thing. So I don't think I'm speaking for anything. But I mean, I can't really see how, you, from an accountancy point of view, you can justify just not paying these people off because they're not getting very much. And the costs of not producing stuff are huge. Yeah. Goodness. I'm not an accountant, but from yeah. my understanding, five million is less than a billion. Only the traditional mathematics, Jessica. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. not in girl, not in girl math, maybe. But um... <laughs> well, I was more thinking oh. Hollywood math. But... <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah. But anyway so yeah, evil genius. Though back to yeah. back to this. So yeah, yeah. so they're suing Netflix. They've yeah. released a big press statement. Um, they put a page up on their website all about yeah. it. There's a petition you can sign. So they're they're like evil genius are working hard to get the public on their side and put yeah. pressure on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, just just say I have signed that petition because I think, yeah, actually, you know, yeah, it's it's like ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I hope it works out okay. I do, but yeah, yeah, but you know, lawsuits like this take a long time, and it it, it kind of by the time the lawsuit goes through, like Rebel Moon will probably be forgotten about. Yeah, maybe, the thing. or it might 
proved to be massively popular and successful. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. It looks kind of cool. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see. It's an interesting that the, the movie poster for Rebel Moon says at the top, war comes to every world. It's like, yes, yeah, illegal war. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was, that was, I'm glad you mentioned that first because that was the first bit of news I was going to talk about because that's the one I've seen people online talking about that's created. Mm. Well, it kind of exploded this week, though, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it did. Yeah. Anyway, should we move on to some other news? Yes, yeah. I feel, although starting with that might be anticlimactic because that is the big news item. So I don't know if we did it the wrong way. Uh, Plain skate character options? Quite a big I Big-ish? Little big? Little bit big? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. All right, okay. I do like a character option. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've read this. I don't know a huge amount of it, but Gate Warden and Plain Philosopher. Yeah, yeah. So we've got two backgrounds. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a handful of feet mm-hmm. and also a couple of new spells and some magic items. And they previewed some of this stuff, not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you just said, two backgrounds, Gate Warden and Plain Philosopher. Yeah. Yep. They previewed one of the feats, which is called... Is this Skyon or Scion? S-C-I-O-N. I, I would say Scion. 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 Yes, go Jess. That always makes know, me think psychic. I know it's yeah. pronounced the same way as P-S-I-O-N. Mm. Okay. I think they have different roots. I don't know. Ruth. The English language is interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's like water. Real it's a lot like the British Sweet. Museum. We went around a lot of places and just took a load of stuff that we wanted. Hey, shoved they it didn't together. want next. <laughs> oh, I love that new story about the British Museum. Like, oh no, our things have been stolen. It's like, really? You're going to throw throw stones in that glass house? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah. That, yeah. anyway. Anyway. Not yeah, TGRPG so Sion... news, but anyway. <laughs> Sign of the Outer Planes. So basically, um, the Sign of the Outer Planes is a beat that gives you a damage resistance and a cantrip. Yep depending on what plane you have a connection with. So, like, if it's a chaotic outer plane, you get resistance to poison, and you get the minor illusion cantrip. And if it's the outlands, you get resistance to psychic damage and the mage hand cantrip. So you're sort of like a dragon ball, but with a cantrip instead of a breath. Yeah. I think as feats go, they're quite... They're not very strong feet. I, I don't strong think feet, it's it? a strong feat, but it's a nice flavour feat. It does mm. give a nice background thing because it, it makes sense to me. It's like, yeah, I grew up here and I'm from this place. So. Yeah, but whenever you take a feat, though, you're taking it in place of something else. So. Yeah, it's an opportunity cost. Mm. Yeah, but so... yeah, if, you, if you're wanting to make a well-built character that's functional, probably not this one. <laughs> However, well, I know yeah. there's many D&D players like myself. Who are not looking for those specifications and character okay. creation. Yeah, yeah. But, so, but, yeah. The, but the job of a game designer, I would argue, is to make things that are attractive and fun for players like yourself, mm-hmm. which are not also ones which people are like, oh, I could choose it, but it's just a bit weak. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't add anything to my enjoyment of the game. Sure. So, like, just because you make a choice that's flavorful, it doesn't mean you should be worse off. Mm. Well, I just... Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I know. That's I, just how I feel. Yeah, no, I think that's no? true. I never feel yeah. worse off though, because I just, I guess yeah, my yeah. enjoyment from the game just is running around being a silly little guy doing things. Yeah. Uh, but, but, where, but, but, whereas but, I know other people genuinely want to make an effective character that is getting them, allowing them to explore the pa- games. Pa- the play, playing yeah. a silly little guy should also be a valid choice. Yes. Like, in terms of efficiency, I feel. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, anyway. Yes. Sorry. But yeah, it seems. I mean, if you went with psychic stuff, then that that would be like a really bad value. I mm. think. Anyway, I mean, if you put a half ASI in it, that would get a bit chunkier. But then again, you never know. They might have some rule in the book where you get a feat for free or something. So it's an additional thing. Maybe you never know. That's yeah, true. it might not be an opportunity. They're, they're moving. They're moving to a whole thing where you've got like all the. Well, that's that's part of the way they're moving. They're saying 
with a background, you get a free feat. Oh, they come with the yeah, these two backgrounds. So the planar philosopher background gets the scion yeah. of the outer plane's feet. There we go. Yeah. Found it. There we go. So, yeah, I mean, so it's a little bit... It's less of an opportunity, is mm. what we're trying to say. So yeah. that makes and sense. so does the Gate Warden one as well, actually. So yeah. it makes sense as why it's the flavourful feat opposed yeah. to a... Gotcha. Got it. Yeah. Something okay. you've chosen yeah. actively for your specific character build. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's things like they, they put alert into the criminal background so that the assassin subclass will actually work more mm. often than not, which was kind of the problem with that. Yeah, yeah that's, so, a, that's a niche subclass, but yeah. Well, it's, it's like one of the main subclasses from uh, Players' No, Handbook. no, I mean to play it. Like, you have such niche situations when you're playing. Oh. You're like, you're like, at the end of combat, I get in there and I, <laughs> I'm either going to win or die. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it's like it's, playing I, Red in Magic the Gathering. Just right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, well, yeah, but Red just keeps on trucking, do you know what I mean? Whereas this is like, you no. know, unless the start, unless, unless everything, unless basically you sneak off on your own and you take a one shot, you're like, oh, well, I'm here on my own and I'm a rogue. Mm. Hmm. I have a head. <laughs> this is true. Okay, yeah. so unless, yeah. unless, unless you're happy with the rogue comes barreling into camp going, oh, God! Leroy Jenkins, but running away. Well, to the uh, yeah, yeah, opposite. Run away, run away. Come soy Birking. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, sorry we, we've lost Russ. We've lost Russ. Where where yes. are you in the planescape? In the, where uh, are you in the multiverse right now? Well, I was just looking at the two backgrounds. Yes. So, I'm a philosopher. A gate warden grows up near a portal to another plane of existence, mm-hmm. and you're really used to unusual things and uh, the stranger aspects of interplanar relations. Um, you might chat with genies or demons as easily as you would a bartender. So it's like someone that lives in New York, really, like as a real world. <laughs> I'm not sure, like New York is a portal to another dimension. <laughs> you're used. Wait, nothing phases you. You're used to speaking with demons, bartender, <laughs> like anyone. Spice. Weird Look, stuff happens. They're not sweet demons. They're just not from. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> anyway, oh, that sounds cool. I like that background. What, what was yeah. the other? What was the other background? Uh, Plain philosopher. philosopher. Mm. Um, you seek to understand a truth about the universe, if there is one. Um, in Sigil and its outlands, you've seen this universe's interstitial spaces, its veins and arteries, and you must know more. So you basically mm. you're just trying to learn stuff about the universe itself. Where do the other socks in the drag? Mm. Philosophically studying the maintenance corridors of the universe. Interesting phrase. Are we done talking about Wizards of the Coast? We're done with Planescape. Okay, Okay. do you want me to tell you about Paizo and Pathfinder? Sure. Has it got a new book out? No, don't don't (laughs) get ahead of yourself. So we talked previously. To be fair, one, two, three, four, five new books. Yeah. Well, yeah, like next year. (laughs) Yes. So the Pathfinder Second Edition remastered is on its way, as we know. Yeah. Um, And we've previously mentioned that they previewed the wizard changes. Wizard. No, I'm not even talking about the wizard. I'm talking about the new character options. So there are two classes. So Pathfinder War of Immortals is a playtest that Big they're doing. It's got two new classes in it, the mm-hmm. Animist and the Exemplar classes. Mm-hmm. And the playtest is happening at the moment. So you can go to Paizo and like try, try it yeah. out and have a look, uh, which is very cool. And yeah, and so they're going through and um, they people have been saying, oh, there's not enough apparitions, there's not enough icons. But they've explained that the Animist will be getting more apparitions and the Animist will get more icons, but we're just doing specific ones because these are the ones we need to playtest at the moment. So if you mm. have been doing the playtest and you're like, there's not enough, do not fear, there will be more. There's it's just more these coming. these are the ones that are like we need to play test these icons and these um 
these apparitions. Because yeah. they're the ones that what you're playtesting really is the structure of the game rather than the specific mm-hmm. sort of modular bit. So you don't necessarily need to have like if you're playing like if yeah. you're sort of playtesting uh, a wizard, you don't need to have access to every spell. Yeah. To playtest a wizard, you're playtesting the structure of the wizard. Yeah. And you've got a handful of spells to try it out with, sort of thing. Exactly. Depending on what it is they're looking for, what data it is they're looking for. Exactly, and that's exactly what they're doing here. Yeah. So that so they're doing things like that, and they they were mentioning they did a blog post where they talked about the possibility of a circus themed apparition. That's not mm-hmm. in the playtest, but I am intrigued. Um, uh, and so yes, yeah, so there's some interesting stuff going on with those classes. So I might mm. I might take a look at that. I've I've played like the smidgiest smidge of Pathfinder. Mm. Uh, so, but I might have a look because it looks it looks quite interesting. Mm. It's quite interesting to me. But yeah. So, um, if you want to get involved, you go to Pizer.com and you can playtest that and get more information. Yeah, we, what, what you generally Part get the second edition does have great design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you get from Pizer, I think, is as as different to Wizard of the Coast, different to D anD D, is you get a lot more stuff on a broader, a sort of broader sort of scope. I think. Yeah. They're always bringing out new classes and new this and new that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think D and D tends to be a little more focused on that sense. Yeah. Although D and D does a lot more of settings than Pathfinder does, to be yeah. fair. Like Pathfinder, pretty much, it's Galarian or Star or the Starfinder setting. Yeah. Uh, I uh, yeah. Well, okay. Yes, I suppose that is two settings, and any number greater than two is more. But I don't know. Like, I've... what settings would you say uh, Wizards have brought out? Question uh, right. For 5e, they've done yeah. Eberron, Dragonlance, they've got Plain State coming up. They do... I, I mean, are these bought out? Because I don't know, it's like, I don't, like there's an adventure there, but I don't know mm. if that's the same as the setting book, and Ravenloft, and the Realms of Dread, yeah. the Veins of Dread, whatever, you've got like a bunch of two-page things, but I don't know, man, that's like, here is a picture of a house, and here is all the kit you need to build it, mm. and instructions on how to do it. I feel these are different things. I think that's true. I think when I see five, and this is just anecdotally what I see online for people offering games when I go to conventions, a lot of five E campaigns, people are running an adventure from five E. Like I'm running, you know, Curse of Strahd or you know whatever. Whereas when I see Pathfinder things, it's somebody's homebrew world, so they've used the books as a toolkit to create their to create their own campaigns for Pathfinder. Oh, okay. Well, when I, I see I online for campaigns, I was talking about campaigns. Okay. When I so, oh, yeah, okay. so I, when I see cam- one shots because you can mm. you know, but I mean like when people are like, I'm running a game of this and da da da. Most Pathfinder ones I see are people have made their own kind of story and are using the books to make their own adventures and stuff. So I don't know if that's just me that's seen that and that's not the case, but I I wonder if I, Pathfinder I mean, players are people that used to play D and D wanted something a bit more different. A bit more customizable, so more likely to be the type do, of people that want to I make do their kind own. I kind of campaign. wonder how many people, yeah, go into Pathfinder first as opposed to having come from D and D. Even in the indie scene, because I interview a lot of people who are not D and D, the vast majority mm. of people's first game was D and D. D and D is the yeah, yeah. It is for better or worse the the game and the company yeah. that has the clout to do player acquisition, yeah. which yeah. I don't think any other company, maybe Paizo. But even so, um, it really has a count to really do that in, yeah. on a, on a massive scale. I mean, you know, like smaller companies can get a little trickle of you, yeah. Players. But but on a, on a large growing the hobby scale, mm-hmm. I think only Wizards really has a count to do that. Yeah, for or worse. I know. think so. I got some other games to tell you about. Would you like me to do that? Why not? So uh, a game that I like that you might not like as a listener, but that's and it's that's okay. Three. <laughs> yes, I could talk a lot more about World to Get Through, but I'm not. 
So if you think I'm talking about a lot, this is me being restrained. Um, but anyway, mm. Monticut Games. So the old gods of Appalachia role-playing mm-hmm. game. As, as obviously that's out and exists, but they brought something out this week that I thought was really cool. Um, so they have a character portfolio and it looks really mm. nice. Uh, so you have, it's a 24-page character p- portfolio and it does work as a character sheet, but also it's got rooms for notes, sketches, it's got details that you find about Appalachia. Um, you got It's got space for a campaign journal. It's got space to make maps and locations, track your NPCs. So it's like a full... Just a book that you bring for your character to your a game. A workbook for your campaign. Yeah, almost. and it's it looks really... Yeah, a player's workbook. Yeah, yeah, it looks really pretty and it looked really nice. And I just thought, what a nice thing that exists. Mm. Uh, so that came out this week um, for that system. And I just thought that was a really nice thing. It was about, uh, I think it was like around £20 for a pack of them and things. So mm. it, it didn't seem really unreasonable that if you're running a campaign for your friends and you wanted to... Because I know some GMs get uh, dice for their players as little gifts to welcome them in. It'd be nice to come to a table and be someone being like, here, this can be your thing. So, hmm. I don't know, I saw that and I wanted to give that a shout out. I don't know if uh, if you folks have seen other stuff that you wanted to shout out that you've seen this week. Oh, I'll tell you what, a game I played this week, which I've never played before, but I've wanted to do for a while, is Delta Green. Oh, yeah, I was talking about Brand that. I managed to play. There's um, a big bundle yeah, of holes on sale. With Mad, Mad DJ, uh, the Mad DJ? Mad DJ. Mad GM. <laughs> Mad Keeper, the Mad Keeper of the uh, rulebook. Tim Cornish, who, mm. like, you know, um, has been running the game for me. And good times, yeah. man. Good times. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, it is cool of Cthulhu. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was like a sort of modern day or 2010 or something, Call yeah. of Cthulhu. And um, we were, like, operatives who were sent off on a mission to just discover and investigate a thing. It was a one-session thing. It was a short a short thing. Mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Delta Green. I am now officially a person who has played Delta Green. I think I would like Delta Green because I've enjoyed, I quite enjoy playing Cthulhu. I've I've played the Laundry series as well, which I enjoyed that. And they're both Ooh. that sort of genre of mm. game. You know, I'd put, yeah. I'd put them in, I'd put them in the same county. They they are different stories. Mm-hmm. They are different vibes. But also, yeah, no, you're, you're right to say they're similar because they've got a similar, but like, whereas in Laundry, you'd be more concerned about filling in the paperwork correctly and dealing yes. with the yeah, yeah, mining yeah. bureaucracy afterwards. Yeah. Mm. And there's a lot more computers has magic. Mm-hmm. In Delta Green, you're like, well, we've got to do these things and we've got to sort of blag the FBI while they're not looking directly at us. Mm. <laughs> and uh, currently, we've knocked over a big old creature with a couple of cars and throwing petrol bombs on it. And yeah. it's like, this is not what we want to be doing in a like little suburb in Montana. And we're going to have to. <laughs> We're gonna have to finish off this job, <laughs> set fire to a lot more things, and run away mm. before the police show up. Because <laughs> it's because <laughs> people have noticed the firefight and explosions. Mm. We had our reasons, okay? Yeah. Well, we were pouring petrol on a zombie snake lady in a septic tank. Good job. Right. We don't want to be fighting her directly in the septic tank. That's a bad man. That anyway, that's what, that's what I played. But also, there's, there's a Kickstarter I saw. Which oh, yes, looks yeah. quite interesting. It's called a Monstrous. And this is a system-neutral sort of monster art and lore book. Um, so it's basically designed for whatever you're playing, whether it's D&D or Path, or whatever fantasy game you're playing. Mm-hmm. It's got like the regular sort of monsters you expect to see, like liches and dragons and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, you know, D- D&D monsters. But it's just like lots of inspiration tables and information mm. about them and good, lovely pictures of them and, you know, mm. details about lairs and 
all sorts of stuff. So you know the sort of stuff that's in the Monstrous Menagerie, just that, mm. but but more of that. But no stat blocks. But no stat blocks. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That would yeah. save a lot of space. Right? Yeah. Put yeah. more monster in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that could be really, really useful. It's like if you just want to use a monster that is, you know your players are probably a little used to, you grab you grab this book and you've got a whole sort of like rich kind of tapestry of stuff to just sort of vary it or spice it up or make it more interesting or just make it deeper or more immersive or whatever. They have biblically yeah. accurate angels, a giant eyeball with wings and spinning discs. <laughs> Lovely. Love that. I, I, I've actually got something similar. It's done by a of Indian people, mm-hmm. um, Indian devils and monsters Ooh, and so forth. Yeah. So like, they're, they're basic, it was, it was very interesting. Their basic rule for exclusion was, does someone worship this? Then we're not putting this in this book. I'm like, good shout, lads, good shout. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so it's like all the folklore horrors from the Indian subcontinent mm. and surrounding environs, which has been pretty interesting oh, so far. I, I was expecting short stories, but in a way, I'm getting more of like a folklorist's Bible, if mm. that would make sense. Is this a it's Kickstarter? A, yeah. No, no, it's just a book. Oh. oh. Like it's just it's just a good book that you can buy. Oh, okay, nice. Like I can go grab it and get you the details. Is this interesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah go on. you look interested. Yeah, yeah, I know it is. It's just five more days. I thought it was a, uh, a Kickstarter. I was going to ask you to drop the link. Okay, so it's called "Ghosts, Monsters, and Demons of India" by mm-hmm. Rakesh Khanna and J. Firstfer Barav. Nice. Ooh. Um, oh, that's pretty. It's got like a foil embossed yeah, on it's it. Lovely. It's like sort of leather or pseudo leatherette bound and it's like you know just really nice and mm. you've got like <laughs> just open this at random it's like got the long shona which are apparently zombie-like mercenary killers who've been drugged by worshippers of a certain demon Flem. so quite frankly i'm like this is this is how you, could, really you cool. could blend that with your vassan game or something because vassan does a lot of folk things so you could use that as inspiration for like i i could uh this is the attack of the cat. For that genre this of is game. available from uh, Watkins Media in the hmm. UK and the USA. So it's about this year. Or an older one. Oh. Yeah, 2023. So I saw it with someone publicised it on Mastodon, and I was like, you're right. <laughs> this is good. And yeah, no, I mean, beautiful quality, very interesting. Um, done by local people yeah. about their local and stuff. So I'm like, yeah, this is really, this is really good. Love that. <laughs> And I shall be, I shall be nicking the ideas for my home games (laughs) and inflicting new terrors upon my players. (laughs) Right, I think we've probably finished with the news now, have we? Well, yeah, I mean, there's like one last bit. Oh, okay. Because we've been talking about settings and we've been Mm -hmm. talking about new ways to get going and so forth. Um, So for Advanced Fifth Edition, on Tuesday, I will be launching my Kickstarter. Yeah, we're quite excited about it. It's a micro setting. It's just like, I was like, oh, I don't want to get too too mad with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I got excited and I had like a <laughs> bunch of ideas. And people asked me questions that I'd never been asked before. Mm. And then suddenly I was like, oh, this is the way to do it. So somebody want like, you know, I've been trying to save a kingdom and mm. that, that's been going. So someone said, oh, I want to play a vampire. And I just like you to imagine me going, oh. Because I have written a web page with everything that you could possibly want, mm. where they have so many options, right? And vampire, right, is not on it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you could, you could. Uh, how about you wait until level four, and then like you could shake her feet and become a vampire. And they just didn't want to know. And I just don't want to tell them no, but I'm also just going ah. Oh. But of course, I'm playing in advanced fifth edition, 
if I was playing a fifth edition, I'd have to make a vampire thing and hope it worked. Here, I'm just like, oh, well, actually, the heritage gift and the level one feat, new blood, mm. they're the same mechanical value. So you don't get a heritage gift; you get new blood feet instead. Okay, that works. Yeah, and also new. It, it's it's no writing for me, which has a very lazy person. I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that meant yeah. So they've got access to the whole thing. They can become a vampire. Job done. Mm. And then I was like, huh. You know who else is famed for having half regular, half immortal Greeks demigods? So I'm getting, it's like, I don't have any details, but I'm like, well, I can count weight pretty easy. So I can make a whole bunch of um, demigod heritage, de- demigod gifts, where you take, I don't know, a human, and instead of like the regular human gifts, you can play one of those, well, if you like. But if you want to be blessed by the gods, set by the gods. Nice. Cool. Yeah, so that's like, your Kickstarter is? Starting Tuesday. Uh, the, the name of the Kickstarter is Worlds to Go, Worlds the to Elysians. Go. Yes, yeah. uh, so it's, it's well sort of like and then two go is hyphenated mm. because some of you already took drag and drop. Uh, using it has a game where you break bricks and make a dragon fall down slowly. I know <laughs> which you came up with first. Ah, ah, that is fine. It's fine. <laughs> I just really wanted to call it drag and drop because I wanted you to be able to drag and drop it into your world. But mm. yeah, um, we got like some maps. There's like some cool new design. Um, I had an idea about how to do... Because, uh, like, you know, there were lots of different Greek city-states. Mm-hmm. So, for me, it's like, well, they're all going to look a little bit like each other, but they're going to have differences. So that sounds like a culture, but with options. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think... I mean, there is there is definitely, like, you know, stuff like uh, the Steamforged and Collegiate has done it. But I, I'd like to make it so they're less wild. So, so like, there's more, more similarities... Yeah, mm. well, it's like the collegiate is basically you're choosing six different options, whereas here it's like maybe a base and then some like little things. So you're so it's like the the, the relational differences. So it's like they're more cousins or mm. like more brothers and sisters sort of thing as cultures. Sorry, this metaphor probably only makes sense in my head, <laughs> but mm. I'm but sure like, it'll make sense you, on the Kickstarter page laid out. Doubt it. I know. I'm sure. <laughs> I, it's like, I mean, it, it, it'll be fun. I've got like the Elysian culture, which is leaning heavily into the Bifos of ancient Greece, which I'm paying into. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, also, well, we've got the history, so might as well. And just stuff like um, relating the islands and the different terrains and that sort of archipelago island hopping. So I feel there's space there for social encounters. Like, you know, so it's, and you could probably just use that with regular stuff as well, but it's just like, I'm also thinking, well, actually, I'm doing all these pre-gens, so I suppose if I've got the space, time, and money, I can increase these. Nice. And do that. There's some inbuilt uh, stretch goals, that sounds like, as well. And that's on yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday, Tuesday, Yes, Tuesday. yes. I've got a lot, lot of work to do, but we've got a bit of time, and yeah. It's going yeah, to... I'm pretty excited. And there's and a new background as well. A chap called Dave Clark from uh, Full Moon Storytelling, as I recall, mm. has got some, you know, very novel and very interesting stuff, because massive nerd about this sort of thing. Best possible person to have writing them. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah it's, all, it's all looking pretty sweet. And there's quite a few heritages, so, so which will be... Uh, but they're all collected for the first time. So, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see. Right. Hopefully people will like it. Yeah. Well, if you know, want to know what we're up to at EM Publishing, Russ and I spent Ooh. just shy of an hour rattling on about our plans, what we're currently doing, what we're doing in the future, Ooh. EM Publishing, on our monthly update. And that's on YouTube. Ooh. 
uh, Ian World yeah. live on YouTube if you wanna if you wanna know all the stuff and things that we're doing there. Yeah. All right. Coming through, uh, Captain of the Guard. Coming through. <laughs> Thank you, soldier. Now, what do we have here? One dead awfully, Captain. We've secured the crime scene and sent for the psychic. Ah, no need, no need, Private. I can solve this one myself. Oh, no. Here we go again. Thinks they're Sherlock Bloody Holmes. What was that, soldier? Uh, I'll, I'll uh, ask these people to return to their homes. Uh, 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 good thinking, soldier. Now, let's take a look. Who discovered the body? Mrs Jenkins, the baker, Captain. Came across it this morning when she opened up the shop. Excellent. Arrest Mrs. Jenkins and we'll be on our way. Uh, sorry, Captain. Did, did you say arrest Mrs. Jenkins? I did, Private. The case is solved. Uh, uh, with, with respect, uh, Captain, <laughs> I feel that it warrants a further investigation. Oh, very well, very well. Let me take another look. Very good, Captain. Hmm. It is clear to me that this halfling was poisoned. Uh, poisoned, Captain? Indubitably, soldier. But he has an arrow sticking out of his head, Captain. Oh, yeah, uh, as I said, a, a poisoned arrow. Right. Ah, oh, so the question is, who shot him and why? Oh, that's easy, isn't it, Private? Is it, Captain? Yeah, it certainly is. If you cast your eyes at the ground, just here, you will see a large footprint. A boot. Hobnailed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, Captain, that's your footprint. Ah, oh, uh, yeah, as I was saying, so that's one clue we can eliminate from our inquiries, uh, as uh, as it were. Oh, Captain, should I just summon the psychic? Oh, no, no, nonsense, Private. My deductive skills are more than up to this task. <sighs> We're going to be here all night. What was that, soldier? Oh, I said I'm sure you're right, Captain. Yes. So, we're looking for a bowman who is not wearing obnail boots. Oh, lead the detective work to me, Private. Now then. So our suspect knows how to poison an arrow. There's no poison, Captain. Just the arrow. More of a quarrel, really. A quarrel? You know, uh, like a, a crossbow. Right, right, right. That's what I was about to say. So a hobnailed crossbow-wielding poisoner. It's it, it's not worth it, Private. Just just let them get on with it. A lover's tiff, no doubt. How do you figure that then, Captain? Elementary, my dear Private. A tiff is another name... For a quarrel. He was killed with a quarrel. And the smoking gun, look, he's not wearing a wedding ring. So... There go. Somebody removed his wedding ring. We need to find out who has the missing ring. Captain, maybe he wasn't married. Well, of course he was married. How else could he be missing his wedding ring? Do keep up, Private. But, Captain... It's, it's, it's not worth it, Private. I dare say that this halfling was married to his murderer. Because? Well, who else would remove a wedding ring? Can I just call the psychic now, please, Captain? No, so, to sum up, we are after the spouse of this here halfling, who is undoubtedly a hobnailed, crossbow-wielding poisoner in possession of the victim's missing ring. It's like logic is just taking a day off. Say again, soldier? Oh, um, uh, I hope to catch the jousting playoffs, Captain. Yes. Ah, right, right you are, soldier. Mm. So back to my initial deduction. Bring forth Mrs. Jenkins. The baker? Ah, the very same. Aha! Behold! Hobnailed boots. A crossbow. 
with venom-coated quarrels. And two wedding rings. It's fair cop, Gov. Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right. Don't forget patreon.com slash morris. Can I go now? I assume everyone listening knows what a virtual tabletop is, but you think we should quickly explain it just in case it's a new concept for someone? I don't think it probably is, but... Yeah, go. What what is a virtual tabletop, Russ? And so, at its basic, it's basically a shared map, which you can use via your computers from different locations in order to play a role-playing game. Um, at its very most basic, most virtual tabletops do other things as well. So they'll have, like, uh, integrated dice rollers and character sheets and lots of other bells and whistles. But at its very basic, it's a shared map, literally a virtual tabletop, which different players in different locations can use their computers to play a game of D&D or some other... um, Yeah, that's what that is. And I think a lot of people have got used to using these because with the pandemic, loads of people moved their games online. I think there's a big Mm. boom of new players who started in 2020, so they are just used to playing online quite a lot of people never went back yeah well it's i was just uh, peter and i were just chatting in the break about games we're playing and stuff we're doing and i was saying all of my games currently are online just because of logistics because friends have moved away or they're carers so it's easy for them to play online where they can be in their home you know while the kids are sleeping so they're caring for their kids and stuff or mm. so yeah i think it's a huge part of the hobby is people that purely play online for you know logistical reasons or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I've got. I'm kind of lucky at the moment. That I've got a bit of a mix, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'd ever want to not play in person at all. I prefer playing in person when mm. possible. It's. I think for me, you get all those little role play moments that you don't get online. Um, yeah, and I just yeah. But yeah, and also it's just just more social. Yeah, playing in person, isn't it? Th- basically, I think sometimes it gets to the point where you're like, well. Obviously, playing in person would be my first choice, but if it's between that and not playing at all, I'll play online. Yeah. I like the convenience of not playing online as well, not having to get in the car and drive all the way somewhere and, and, you can you know, just, and all that sort of just stuff. Just wear your pyjamas. No one knows. In the car? No. <laughs> when you play online! <laughs> so if you have your webcam on, like, you know, your Zoom meetings, right. you just have, like, right. T-shirt on on top, just wearing pyjamas on the... Yeah. I guess you yeah. could, with very close friends, you could go around their house in pyjamas to play games. I suppose you could. I mean, yeah. I don't think I would, but I suppose you could. Oh, I, th- oh, I have done that actually. <laughs> I was staying. Yeah, no, I had a. I, uh, when I first moved over to Southampton, the next town over in Bournemouth was where my gaming group was, where we played in person. And uh, so I would go over to play, but sometimes it was just easier to just crash on their sofa afterwards than to to go home. Hmm. So sometimes I would I would have brought my pajamas to wear, and I'd be like, do you know what? It's got to that point in the evening. I'm going to put my pajamas on while playing. Why not? Fair enough. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about pyjamas. We're here to talk about virtual tabletops. All right, next week's topic (laughs) sorted. (laughs) Next week's topic is pyjamas. Yeah. So what... Um, So... What virtual tabletops... Yeah, sorry. 
I made, I made a list. A list? Yes. Now, this is not necessarily a comprehensive list. It's just the virtual tabletops that I could come up with off the top of my head with a little bit of basic research. Okay. And I came up with about 30 of them. Wow. Are currently out there. There are about 30. Probably more that I couldn't find or I'm not aware of. The... But there's about 30 of them. I think off the top of my head I could name 5 to 10 at most. So I'm intrigued that you found 30. Just I don't know that I could head. have done... I don't think I could have done 10 off the top of my head. Yeah. But maybe. I'm going to go through them. Like, how many of these could I done off the top of my head? So, Roll20, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fantasy Grounds, yes. yes. Foundry, yes. Yeah. Owlbear Rodeo, yes. Yeah. yeah. Table Plop, never heard of that one before. Sorry? Ta- I've never heard of Table Plop Plop. Plop. Yes, table, table Plop. Yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. I've seen people mention Astral Tabletop. Uh, and Mike yeah. Myler is super into Table Spire. Yeah, so that's another two. Tabletop oh, Simulator, table I've top. heard of. Hey, Astral Tabletop's gone. Redirects to a gambling site. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, they, they, they ceased. Um, they ceased operations a year ago, I think. Oh. Um, tabletop simulator, I've heard of. There's roll uh, and let's roll. Two different tabletops, not to be confused with each other. Yeah, hadn't heard of yeah. either of those. Skirmish VTT, hadn't heard of that. Okay. D twenty Pro, I had heard of, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't have occurred to me were I to make a list off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Epic table, hadn't heard of. Beyond table, okay. I think that links in with. Does that link in with D and D Beyond? Maybe I don't know. Maybe. What? I don't know. Above VTT, Schmeppy, Alchemy I have heard of, yes. because people people have been mentioning that recently. I think it had a big Kickstarter in the last year or so, so people oh, have been okay. mentioning that a couple of times. The RPT Engine I hadn't heard of. Dice Weaver, I think maybe I had heard of. Shard I had heard of. One More Multiverse I had not. Game Master Engine I had not. Fablecraft I had not. Quest Portal, Sending Stone, Map Tool, Dungeon Club and Cauldron VTT. I hadn't heard of those. Okay. So, a handful I'd heard of. A few of there's, there's Shard, and I, I don't know if Demiplane... Demiplane kind of is, because it has all the character sheets and stuff. It's, it's not a virtual tabletop, though, though. There's no shared map aspect to it. That's like true, that. I no. guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you need... Yeah. I feel the tabletop to be properly included. Yeah. But a valuable online resource. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I suppose like, in the same um, way that D&D Beyond isn't a VTT, but is a really useful yeah. online tool. Yeah, it's like A5E.tools isn't a VTT, yeah. but it has like a mm-hmm. rules directory and will have a character builder on it but that doesn't make it a VTT can, can I say by the way A5V tools A5V.tools is really good I love it that. I use it all the time it, in my games no yeah it's just like half the conversations I have with people online mm. <laughs> I'm like oh I'll go to A5V.tools find the bit that I have to talk to this person about here you go here is the solution to your problem Share the you're link. very welcome yeah yeah basically yeah so virtual tabletops end so Let's talk about our own experience with them so far, then, shall we? Yeah. yeah. Before we do anything else. So, who wants to start? Who's, who's, Jess, you've played a lot of them, you say. so. Well, Ooh. a few. Uh, so, I yeah. well, later today, I'm playing Warhammer Fantasy on Foundry, and we use that. Mm-hmm. And I, I find... Uh, this is... I mean, for Foundry specifically, but this is generally for any uh, VTT. I find it really useful for learning new systems, because it... Mm. It's kind of all online. I can push buttons to work stuff out and it will kind of tell me what's going on behind the scenes. Um, Some, some. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. But so I can kind of see what's going on. If I push the wrong button, things won't happen properly. So it kind of prompts me within the rules and stuff. Mm. So I quite like it for that that aspect of it. So for for learning Warhammer Fantasy, I find it really useful to use a VTT. And it was simpler Mm -hmm. to do that than to... um, 
I think I find that easier than if I was sat around a table playing. However, if I okay. sat around the table, the players that knew the rules would probably have helped me a bit more. So, but, yeah. You know, swings but anyway, yeah, so I like, I, I quite like Foundry. I think Foundry is, it depends on what system you're playing, but yeah, it has nice notes within it. So we have a journal section, so I'm keeping the group notes so that we can it's all pretty, remember what it? happened. It's pretty. Yeah, the maps work. Yeah, it works really well. That's my experience as a player. Um, as someone who's um, a GM using it, I think it's a little bit more complicated than others. I've not used it. I think there's, from what I've heard, there's a bit, there's a little bit of a learning curve to get it, but once you're there, it's fine. But is that not the case with every VTT? I don't know. (laughs) But I can't speak to that, but I can speak to my experience as a player. Right. Yes. Hmm. What other ones have you used Uh, other than Foundry? You've probably used Roll20, yeah. I've used Roll20. I used that for D&D campaigns. And my GM loved it for dynamic lighting. Uh, and I mm. love that in Roll20. When it first, this was like back in 2020 when we were playing. And I mm. really enjoyed that as a player as well because we were doing a dungeon crawl at one point and it did really feel like sneaking ahead, peeking around the corner. And mm. it felt that brought something, in fairness, that VTTs can do that in-person games can't do. Because if you have an in-person map kind of laid out or like um, things, it doesn't, you know, like if something's it's... there, everyone can see it. It's not like I sneak ahead and see something and have to go back and describe it. Mm. Uh, it, is, it is possible I have done it. It is a lot of faff, mm. Mm. and it requires you to have an extremely linear path. Yeah, uh, like I had a big spiral. This is laid up that I drew. I drew it out the night before. Mm. It's like a sockle keep. If people played that Adventures League game, so basically it looks like a sea urchin. Yeah, and they're going around. So it was like just like I I, I basically laid the thing down and covered it in bits of paper. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I more meant for individuals. So if I scouted yeah. ahead, you'd have to look at the paper oh, and everyone would that see the other it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of in this game. Me going like I was playing rogue, of course, going back and be like, um, so this isn't there, and it looks like this, and they made me role play what it was as well. So it was inaccurate, oh, and that sounds yeah. amazing. So it's fun yeah, from that no, perspective, that sounds, and, yeah, and of course no. you can do that on the table as well, as long as the other players say well my character doesn't know what's there tell me but so there's mm. ways around it but that was one it, thing i quite liked and yeah, yeah. i also really liked because when i was playing a healer i was i played against a druid and i took the healer role in a group i found online easier because it was so much easier to see what everyone's health was at because they have little health bars by their tokens whereas in person i found that harder to keep track of so that was one benefit vtt's have but yeah right, your friends your friends don't have health bars no. Well, my friends do. Well, they Just in real life, they do, but they're all very low because they're very sickly people. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know how to fix that. But yes, yeah, so I've used I've used Albert Rodeo as well. So when I've done some... I like Albert Rodeo a lot. That's because that's free. And from what I understand, it's easy to use as a GM. Is that fair? Like for someone yeah. who's... It's basically very simple. It hasn't yeah. got, really got any of the bells and whistles that mm-hmm. the others have. Yeah. Um, version 2 actually has a few more, but the, the original Albert Rodeo, version 1, it's pretty much just you upload a map, people chuck their tokens on it, um, and that's pretty much it. It's a shared table. It's got a few bits and pieces, but um, version two's got like extensions and stuff, so you've got initiative trackers and all that and all other stuff that you can add to it. But version yeah. one's like very, very simple. Mm. Like you don't really need to know anything. It doesn't do a lot for you, like in the sense that yeah. you, you're saying that that things handle the rules for you. Albert Rodeo has no rules. Yes, yeah, it's, no it's just like no, a map tokens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes I've that I've seen that used in actual plays a lot because it's easy to kind of yeah I imagine browser. it's quick and easy to use in an actual play yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's uh, yes I've used that forgot what I've said now roll twenty Albo Radio Fancy Grounds uh, Foundry oh, have you used Fancy Grounds yes uh, how do you find that one 
similar to Foundry in terms of it's pretty. Uh, there's a lot of mm. stuff going on. There's lots of bells and whistles. You can get mm. all your handouts and your stuff and things there. Yeah, I'd say it's... I, I, I'm going to get some haters for it, this, but I find, as a player, the experience of using Fantasy Grounds and Foundry very similar in terms of mm. user experience. I mean, they look different, mm. have different features, obviously, but Same. in terms of similar vibes, yes. Mm. Okay, okay. Is what I'd say. Yeah. What about you, Peter? I know you've used Roll20. What else have have you used? Uh, Surprisingly little. I've either had people running stuff on Roll20 for me, Mm -hmm. or I've had games conducted entirely through Zoom. Or, yeah, I've never played played a game of Foundry. Makes it much harder to know what I'm doing as a DM, Mm. or Games Master on the race or whatever. Like, I I have Foundry. I have tried to set up an original battle map, but, yeah, it's just like, it keeps changing, and I don't really have a solid use case for it. So, I don't know, I'd have to work out how to use it. I mean, really, I just don't really have anything pulling me to it, because everyone I know already knows how to use Roll20. Mm. Yeah. It's I think Roll20 is the big, big one on the block, isn't it? That's the, out of all of them, yeah. that is the biggest the one. The most common one that I see, and I think... You can have it as a very simple version, or you can add bells and whistles, from what I understand, Ooh, as a GM. Did you guys see that maps thing that D&D Beyond brought out, like, a week or two ago? No. Oh, so D&D Beyond. So, you know, um, they're making a 3D virtual tabletop. This is separate to that. Okay. So, they've got their big old 3D virtual tabletop. But they rolled out a maps feature, just like last week or the week before. That's, yeah, I should have mentioned that earlier. So this maps feature, Mm -hmm. basically, it's only available to master level subscribers at the moment because it's in alpha or something. Mm -hmm. So I haven't used it myself. I've just seen people talk about it and seen some screenshots and seen a video about it. But basically, it's a, you know, it's it's a sort of, yeah, it's a virtual tabletop hosted by D&D Beyond, which links in with the D&D Beyond character sheets. Interesting. It seems about Albert Rogio level of complexity Mm -hmm. plus the link to everything that D&D Beyond can already do. That's what I was kind of just about to say, because would you need that level of bells and whistles if you're using D&D Beyond for your character mm. sheet? That's got the dice roller in. Yeah. Would you have a separate yeah, so window for the so, map? Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, they, they're doing that, and that's already, you know, that already exists. It's just launched, yeah. and I assume it will filter down to other level subscribers at some point, but you've got to be a master level. At the moment. To host a game, at least, not to not to join one, I think. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. So yeah, there's an official, official D&D VTT now, not the big... 3D one they're making, but that is big news. You know, I a much a much simpler, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What have I? I've only used two. I have used Roll Twenty and I've used Albert Rodeo, and that's it. That's all the only virtual tabletops I've used. Not because I've got any. It's just it's just how it's worked out, basically. Mm-hmm. Roll Twenty was the first one I used. I personally find it a bit too fiddly. I'm not. I'm not super keen on it. Uh, myself, Albert Rodeo, I liked because it was incredibly simple mm-hmm. and I basically didn't have to learn anything. I just had to whack up a map and put some tokens on it, and that was pretty much done. And that was pretty, and that I handled the rules myself. I like, very much like the idea of other ones that are kind of in between those two. Yeah, I think I, for running games, like I've not run games on VTT, so this is me coming at it from a newbie perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of more involved, like, you know, Foundry Fantasy Ground style ones that have... Um, rule support. Yeah, rule support and lots mm-hmm. of things like that in. And you can also do handouts. I like the idea of that because it's like, oh, the idea is all in one place. And my players can come here, 
Mm. I, I, but I think I'm intimidated by, similar to what Peter was saying, by the setup of doing that, um, because a lot of the games and systems yeah. I want to play aren't supported by the publishers on there for good reasons. We maybe we'll come back to publisher support and things like that. So I would have to build a lot of that, and I yeah. don't have the skills or the knowledge. And I'm sure I could sit down and learn, and I'm sure there's online communities where people help each other learn, and I, I'm sure those places exist for different systems, and I'm sure that's a thing. But I just, mm. I just... I don't know if I would get over the hurdle of doing that. So I think I'm going to end up using something like you're saying, Albo Rodeo, something very simple that just has the map on to do the combat side yeah. of it. And the rest will do theatre of mind and handouts. I can do like, like Peter, you were saying via Zoom or something like that. I think that's probably what I'll end up doing just because mm. I don't think I have the time and energy to learn to do this, this new thing, even though yeah. it probably would be really good. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. You know, I have to spend as much time prepping an encounter. Mm-hmm. As you do running the encounter. Yeah. And the thing with virtual tabletops, I kind of feel like the amount of work it could be to prep an encounter on a more complex one. Yeah. Kind of means you kind of got to use that encounter and you can't quickly prep an alternative on the fly this... to that level of detail should the players do something else. Exactly. Yeah. The kind of games I want to run are going to be a bit more sandboxy. Like there's going to be stuff going yeah. on, but they are going to choose what they want to do. And maybe this week yeah. they don't want to go over there. I mean, it's, so mm. I, I oh. can't. And like, if I spend ages prepping an encounter and they decide to go right and not do that this week, I'll be like, mm. oh. <laughs> yeah, you know? well, well, well that, that, to be fair, actually, that is quite a valid issue you bring up, which is, I feel like it's the responsibility of the players to communicate clearly what their plans are to the GM. Mm-hmm. And like maybe that's the thing that people need to have a discussion about out of character. I... Or before the session so the GM knows what to prepare. Or at the end of the last session, yeah, or in yeah. between sessions. Oh, I, yeah. I ag- like, yeah, I agree. I think that's very yeah. much the case. But I think sometimes you're on a journey and you present them in the middle with a decision for something. So you can't. It's not always possible to do that. But yeah, I. Well, well my well, GMs if used, you presented yeah. them with decision and you're not prepped for the consequences of that decision. That I feel is sort of with you. Oh yeah, I'm not. Mm. I never said I was good at running but, games, Peter. <laughs> I've been very <laughs> yeah, clear yeah. about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's like, you know, um, like it, it, it's good to have a like a notion of the direction of travel, mm-hmm. and I think it's like there's also a sort of like a, a fixation upon a time element. Like I feel it's valid if the players exercise their agency, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. they have every right to, yeah. to go completely off piece and go a completely new direction. Yeah, they can do that. that. As a as a person who's running a game, it's also well within your remit to say, well, sorry, we'll have to finish there because. I do not feel comfortable attempting to provide yeah. uh, the experience. I don't feel I'm going to make my standards. So for like, me, that's not where you should be going first. Just yeah. to be clear, right? This is a uh, but. This I feel is like a ground rule. That yeah. Maybe that's a session zero thing. Yeah, yeah. possibly. I mean, for me, I would feel perfectly comfortable going off piece just like that if it was theatre of the mind. Yeah, not a problem. I'll do that. Wing it. Fine. It's, yeah. If sure. I'm, if, if you're doing theatre of the mind, yeah. If I have to have light system, yeah, prepped. Battle maps with you know virtual lighting and uh, fogs of war and all the NPC set up and all this sort of stuff, which but, yeah can take a long time to set up, and you don't want to be sitting there setting it up for twenty minutes while your players are going. Dum, 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 dum. Um, in theatre of mind, you could do that straight away. If you haven't got that already set up, going off piece does make it. I suppose you could set up a load of generic encounters. Yeah, and just grab them. You can uh, have. It's not the same. Yeah, you can have those. Yeah, so I, yeah, that is the thing about VTTs is. I would want to prep it, and that means perhaps the story is a bit more linear. Um, but again, I think 
that's okay to have a bit more of a linear story. I think people sometimes go on about that, like, oh, that's so bad. But I think sometimes we're going on a dungeon crawl. You're going to explore this dungeon. I know you're going to be in the dungeon, so I can prep the dungeon and all the areas. You can choose where you go, mm. but I know you're going to be in well, it. That's what, so, that's what you Peter know? was just saying yeah. now. You sort of, it's, it's agreed that that's yes. what you're going to do. You're going to go yeah. to the dungeon yeah. and explore the dungeon. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I've been at back at commissions running games. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do is I run a level up game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many players I'm going to have. Mm. I'm hoping for a number between three and six. So that makes that quite tricky. So generally the plot tends to have a certain amount of improvisation thrown at it. Yeah, yeah. Which which I'm pretty happy to do because it's like a sort of draw distance in computer games. Like if the players aren't looking directly at it, I don't really have to know about it mm. or make it exist. And as soon as they start asking questions about it, then stuff starts happening and it becomes completely true. Mm. Now, let me be extremely clear, right? What I've described is provoking anxiety in a lot of people. You do not have to do this. I do this because I think it's fun, right? But I am a very strange person. I'll put my hands up to that one. It's like people, I, I know enough to know that a lot for a lot of GMs, it's like, wow, that is my literal worst nightmare. And it's basically because I can't be bothered with like doing too much preparation. But it seems to be very successful. And also it's in advanced fifth edition, which I'm very comfortable doing this sort of thing in. Could I do this in World 20? Maybe. But I'm not, I'm saying other people, you do not have to do this mm-hmm. because I understand this is a lot, it is absolute worst nightmare case to mm. be in that sort of situation for people. But like, I choose to do it. I don't know, because it's, it, it, it's more exciting. For I them. enjoy yeah. it too. Yeah. 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 I feel the same way. And it, yeah, yeah, it's exactly what you were saying before, Peter, about expectations and talking to your players mm. in advance and yeah, just putting out your shop really yeah. clearly. Yeah. Uh, but I think you can do that to a certain extent. It's just like there, there are drawing tools on World 20. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of like just making a brief sketch map and sure. saying to people that's how it goes. But equally, there is something about a virtual tabletop which really brings a grid to the centre mm-hmm. of the mind. And let's be honest, D&D, A5E, Pathfinder, Second Edition, these are all heavily grid-based games. Yeah. Like, we can say it's not there if you like, but yeah. we're just hiding the grid from people. This is kind of weird. Being able to buy the adventures yeah. ready done for you helps. Yes. And yeah, this is where sort of publisher support comes in. So for D&D, Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds, I think, are the two big ones that do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Presumably, and their new maps feature um, apparently has Pandora on it, I think. Mm. Okay. They've launched Makes it, with, I think. Yeah, so they're, they're the big ones. And any D&D adventure you can get on Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds is already set up for you. It's got the maps. It's probably... I assume it's got all the Fog of Wars and stuff. I don't know how much it's got, but... Yeah, I mean, you can run it as is. It needs a bit of diddling around sometimes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like um, I bought uh, Dead in Thay mm-hmm. uh, because that's a mega dungeon. I really wanted to run... Like, I just wanted to... Like, I really wanted to run a mega dungeon, mm. right? Because that is sort of a part of D&D which I'm um, a little bit too young for. Because mm. by the time I was getting into it, Mega Dungeons were passe. Nobody wanted to run Mega Dungeon. Dungeon, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. D- Dungeon Crawl. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, sure, but <laughs> that that if you've looked at Dungeon of the Mad Mage and actually tried to read for it, it is a large selection, but they're all largely independent dungeons, and there's no actual that most, story. That's how most Mega Dungeons are, though. They tend to be independent, weird levels, and 
with a sort of ecosystem sort of joining them, but each one's like a different theme. Is a traditional kind of Megadon. Like, that is okay. I didn't feel there was theming between them mm. uh, on my read-through. Perhaps I'm wrong. Like, yeah. Write to boris.podcast.gmail.com To share your opinion. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Russ rest loves reading that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, but no, I mean, from, from my own personal point of view, I don't think the theme was very strong. I've looked at other stuff like uh, Dwaro Dwelve, Dwaro, <laughs> Dwaro Delve, which mm. is like about an ancient dwarf fortress. And I've got to say, if someone says, hey, Peter, would you like to play in an, in an exploration of an ancient dwarf fortress? I am throwing money, saying yes. Oh, you know I have you 18 different play, character you? concepts. Moria. I'd, sorry? You need to play Moria. I need to run Moria, so <laughs> I doubt if I'm going to get to play it. <laughs> like, yeah, that would be... Uh, Russ, you like, need to you know, run Moria for Peter. That's what I just, <laughs> yeah, that's what I just heard. In 5e, yeah. yeah. Uh, A5. I haven't actually backed that kit stuff. Have you not? Oh, I thought right. you were keen to. Oh, you can no, the free league ones now, I've been, I've seen them in the shops too many times before I got mine, so I can yeah. just wait for it to be in the shops and buy it then because I'll get it quicker. Fair, okay. fair. It's the quickest way to get it, as far as I can make out. Yeah, yeah. But like I say, Mega Dungeons, so I got uh, I and I really wanted to do like a wild exploratory one, mm. and the stuff I've read about Tomb of Annihilation, no, no, mm. it's Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what I was reading. Yeah, and it was it was very promising, and I'm getting to it, and I'm like, okay, this is a lot of rolling on random tables, mm. and the massive disconnect between player abilities and what I'm actually looking at was just too much for me. Because, mm. like, I mean, sure, rangers can't get lost, and if you want to be very pedantic, which, as you know, I do like to do, <laughs> I'm like, well, that means you can always find your way back to a place. Yeah. It doesn't mean you automatically know how to get to a place. Mm. I'm like, well, it looks slow, and we've got all these lovely things like different pieces of survival kit, yeah, mm-hmm. like rain catches. I'm excited by that. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, then we can do lots of role play around that. And it's just, it's like, well, there's rain catches, but there's, but close it, like, you know, that, 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 that final bridging gap requires me to do too much work. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I've had... So we publish adventures. You might know about Do this we? for us. We don't. Do you? Uh, no one told as me. As a smaller publisher. And... I could do it with one with, like, something with, like, maybe Dragon in. Could you sort me out with that? <laughs> I, I don't believe in Dragon. <laughs> okay. No. Very implausible. Breaks the motion. Uh, dungeons and... <laughs> And we, for our adventures, always, uh, well, we, we give them uh, a VTT pack, uh, asset pack. Uh, so we give you maps and tokens that you can use with whatever kind of platform you want. Um, but yes. for adventures, people that thing that we do. generally ask, oh, why haven't you got the adventure out on the platform of I my choice? Mean, example, or whatever, or, yeah, or whatever yeah. platform of their choice. Skirmish VTT. Which is a fair question. Dungeon travel, yeah. So I wanted to speak to that a little bit as smaller publishers um, about there's so many VTT platforms out there. And, yeah, um, and different oh, people use different ones. Uh, and you could say, okay, well, let's just focus on the most popular ones then. Let's just maybe put it Ooh. on there. But the cost of setting up an adventure, some platforms, so like Fantasy Grounds, for example, they license Office and sell it. So they choose what they make. So as a publisher, we we can give them we give them permission to make things from our stuff, but we don't get to control. And we, do it. Yeah, yeah. we don't we don't control what they make and when. So we can't say to them, hey, we're bringing out this adventure. You need to make this for that because that's their own business decision we can give them the stuff and be like you can make an adventure of this and they're like thank you very much 
we have other stuff we're working on maybe we'll get to it you know that's their decision so that's why on some yeah. platforms it won't be there because the publisher can give them permission but that doesn't mean they're going to choose to do that because maybe they're building other stuff and they're focusing on other things so that's their prerogative um on other ones you pay the platform or developers to make it for you and then it's available on there the cost of doing that like it's very high it's and as a as a small publisher it would be like like for a lot of publishers the cost of it would be like you know 20 to 50 percent of what you'd make on your launch for kickstarter Kickstarter. yeah Yeah, yeah. and Mm. you generally won't make your money back on a vtt for that no. You because people buying it via the VTT, you won't make your money. And if, you, back. if you haven't just spend that money thirty times, yeah, and yeah. you know, so it, which is assuming mm-hmm. that you can find someone who will put it on for you, exactly as well. And then there's the whole yeah. project management side of it of hiring somebody, yeah. finding someone, all all that stuff um, as well. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes if you are buying from a smaller publisher, and um, I think you need to understand that. They, they're not going to be able to support all the VTTs. They perhaps have reached out to several... Like, I'm constantly talking to different VTT platforms about getting our stuff on there. But some of them, like, it's not their priority to, to work with that. And they had, in order to build a new system, especially if it's a new system like What's Old is New or Level Up Advanced 5th Edition, the amount of work they have to do to program that is really big. So they have to look at it and decide whether it's, you know, worth their time and resources mm. um, to take that on. So... Yeah, so I just wanted to make yeah. that point because I know some people sometimes say that they, some people say it to me like it's a no-brainer. Surely, if you're a publisher, if you put it on this platform, it will sell and you'll make loads of money. It is a no-brainer. If we could click our fingers and have it on all thirty platforms. We would. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, absolutely. But, and I think if I, if you're a larger publisher, you're at a scale where you can afford to do that, and it absolutely does make sense. If you're like, I mean, it is yeah, very important. I mean, we is. are in a world where mm-hmm. virtual tabletops are a big, big, big part yeah. of the hobby. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you can't not support virtual tabletops. Absolutely. Because, yeah. and, you know, we do as much as we physically can afford to. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't a massive amount because we're not rich. But, yeah. you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if I if I could get, like, cost for people taking my support for existing systems to put it on, I would 100%, like, have that, build that into a stretch goal or work out a way to pay people to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Like, because that, that's what I said. If I'm going to make money off it, I should be paying someone to do it. Mm-hmm. Because profiting off, like, unpaid labour does not sit right with me. Mm-hmm. Like, other people have different takes on it, and that's fine. Like, that's how they roll. It's different from me, but you know what? It, it's like, it's my individual conscience, mm-hmm. so that's how I roll. I don't judge other people for taking advantage of community efforts. Like, in many ways, you should. It's like, you know, the best thing for you. But, like, I personally... Like, I, I have lines in sand that I'm very strict about. Yeah. yeah. My awful nature side, coming to the front. The other side but, of that is, you, if you make your, your content like open gaming content or creative commons or whatever, anyone can yeah. then take that content and put it, make it into a virtual tabletop compatible thing and sell that if they want. So you, that's, 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 that is a way to support virtual tabletops by making it possible for third parties to do so and profit Open license, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, what what do we do? So we, uh, I'm trying to think. So we have roll twenty. We have, I think there's a character sheet. Character sheet. Yeah. On roll twenty, Fancy Grounds does the whole thing by themselves, and they've got quite a comprehensive thing of the core rule books. Yeah. yeah. Foundry is a community led effort. Mm-hmm. I think that's the three main ones that we 
support yeah. out of the box sort of thing. We are, mm-hmm. I want to say I have spoken to a few people and have some agreements coming into place, but we can't announce mm. anything just yet. Yeah. Well, because we want to make announcements when it's made. But the thing is, if even if you make an agreement with a VTT platform that they're going to do it, it's about six months before you see anything because they have to go away and build it. Mm. <laughs> um, so I know for a long time I've been saying to people, I'm speaking to various platforms, but to have nothing I can announce at this point, uh, which mm. I know sounds so lame as like uh, a player because you're like, oh, why not? But I promise you, as soon as we have stuff um, to share, we will. And I'm aware VTTs are important. But for now, mm. for all of our stuff, we generally give out maps and tokens. So whatever platform of choice, you could just stick it in Albert Radio or whatever to, to have you know something to run. Yeah. Going back to like our experience of VTTs anyway, mm-hmm. and people's experience of VTTs mm-hmm. from the sort of customer point of view rather than the publisher point of view. Sure. Of this like two types as well isn't there there's ones that you could just play in your browser yeah so all anyone needs is a web browser like roll 20 is one of those isn't it and albert Virgil is one of those there's one other ones where you've got to download a client and i think uh fantasy grounds is one and boundary is one of those so there's two different kind of types one is a sort of application a bit of software the other is a web-based browser thing mm-hmm. um i mean did you have any thoughts on any preferences with those at all or do you not care or does it matter as a player, I'm not too fussed. If I'm doing a campaign and in advance I'm told, hey, we're using this, you need to download this. Mm. That's fine. It's uh, <laughs> kind of why, yeah. as long as I know in advance. I think the web-based browsers are more accessible just generally. Yeah. If I was doing if I was doing a one-shot, I was invited to that and I had to download something, I might have a bit of a grumble. Okay. But yeah. like, yeah. you know. But yeah, uh, I, yeah, I think, yeah, those are my thoughts actually. That's it. <laughs> like, okay. I was going to carry on. I was like, no, that's it. Those, those are my immediate thoughts. Hmm. I guess part of the reason why I've really gone off VTT stuff when I have access to, like, in person mm. is because most people don't want to play with cameras, which, yeah, Fair enough. is fine. Um, but for me, that means I get talked over a lot. I mean, a lot. And that, because, like, I am in my job trained professionally to shut up and listen. Well, there's no... Um... <laughs> visual clue that someone's got something to say or is you know all that sort yeah. of stuff is there well exactly that's why we do a zoom meeting to record this podcast i, I hate stuff when i can't see someone's face i really yeah. really don't don't like like a zoom meeting where someone's talking and i they haven't got the camera on i just it, may, it just makes me feel uncomfortable and i don't know why it's maybe just a thing with me but i don't like it mm. yeah it, it's super weird um yeah so basically i have to put all the like you know upfront restrictions say look if you if you don't have can we don't have good internet i don't mm. really want to run for you which i don't like because it makes me sound like i'm awful but mm. like if i'm going to be running a game i deserve to be comfortable yeah i i deserve not to be talked about sorry i, I was just saying, I, I just want to say i don't think that makes you sound awful this is what i wanted to jump in and say oh. um oh, I, I think yeah. it's just you have a certain way you want to run a game and other people won't want to play that in the same way that well, we're talking about different gaming styles and with running. Uh, for me, I would, I'm the same as you, Peter. I would want to have cameras on so I can see people because so much about communication is nonverbal. Mm. And also, I like seeing people's reactions. And also, when I'm playing games, I sometimes have big reactions. Even if I'm on mute and someone else is having a scene, I'm there like gasping or putting my hands up or doing stuff. And I just mm. think it's really fun when you're not involved in a scene to feel involved as a group that you can see each other reacting to situations. And also for all those non-verbal cues you're talking about. And also just feels more personal, I think, if you can see someone. Yeah. It's less abstract, yeah. but less in the cloud. Do you know what I mean? You feel... Mm. It's not as good as being in, in person, but it's closer to being yeah. in person. 
that said, I understand why some people would not like to have their cameras on and do that. But I think there's, I don't think you're a bad person for saying that you want that, Peter, because I think there's people that run games that say, hey, we're running this game and we're not having cameras on. So Mm. I think there's, it's just choices again. It's just choices. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm with Peter. I definitely prefer being able to see people without a doubt. Yeah. And like, as you two both know, but maybe the listeners don't, gurning is a, one of my many modes of communication. I get a lot done. Like, the literal incarnation of smile when you say that is me. Um, and many a time, uh, certain people have been reduced to giggles. Rest! Oh, excuse me. Uh, by a well time raised eyebrow. Oh, I, 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 I can't <laughs> tell because I, I, I have a, a filter which just makes your face blur. No, I, I understand. It would be yeah. In real life as well, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I can tell that. <laughs> like the Black Mirror episode. <laughs> like that Black Mirror episode, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? yeah. yeah. Pay your subscription. It's in, it's, in my, it's in my contact lenses. Uh, Beautiful. There we go. But yeah, and those are my thoughts right. on VTTs. I think I prefer in person yeah. myself. Uh, I use online a lot because of practicalities and logistical reasons to play with friends. Mm. Uh, and VTTs are are helpful in different ways, but you know what I think would be really useful is if there is this sort of shared common infrastructure for VTTs, so that it was possible to make a VTT package which was fairly functional. Not it wasn't just maps and tokens; it's fairly functional, and it would work on all the VTTs, whatever VTT someone might use it for. I guess that's just not possible because they're all developed completely independently, yeah, with different code bases and features, but. That would be so cool if you could do that. Yeah, a USB VTT. Yeah. I mean, in, ter- mm. in, ter- in terms of industry development for the tabletop RPG industry, I feel like it's a massive section where money's just been left on the table. Like, because there are a lot of indie game developers out there who mm. quite like to get their work onto virtual tabletop. Mm. Like, last time I checked, I, I can't even apply to work for Roll20. I'm like, and that, I say work for Roll20, I mean put my stuff on Roll20. I can't even apply to do that. Mm. And I did. I was in talks with someone. They left, and I've never had a thing since. So it's like people. Or it's always one of the questions you say people ask. It's like, well, it's hard to talk to these people, mm-hmm. and a lot of time it just seems like it's just going to be really expensive, really hard to mm-hmm. do. So someone who can do that, it's like I can raise money to pay people, mm-hmm. but I need to know what the money is. Yeah, you need to know what your funding goal yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. If we try and fund there it, there are lots know. of barriers for small publishers. Yeah. 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 Mm. I, I I feel like you know, if there's some way to ease that barrier to make that a bit easier, that is going to be massively popular, especially for games like Level Up, which really encourage and support. It's about finding the, the coders, as it were, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like maybe two I know of uh, that might do stuff for Foundry. Mm. That's it. And the Foundry people have no idea yeah. and are interested. It's like you know, there's this potential for a marketplace to evolve. And it's just not supported. And I just, I'm like, it, it's yeah. right there. Like, you know. yeah, I think kind of like virtual table. I was just, I know they've been around for ages, but in real terms, they are still kind of in their infancy. Mm. I yeah, think, yeah. and yeah, yeah. you know, you give it another Especially five or ten time. years, the environment's going to mm. change a lot. I'm hoping with some consolidation in sort of platform interoperability, mm-hmm. so that publishers can make it something that works on more than one virtual tabletop at the same time. And I imagine like. With other technologies coming in as well, like um, VR becoming more common and things like that, these things are going to start to overlap a little bit until a virtual table drop literally is you wearing some VR glasses sitting around a table, and it's almost in person at that point. And that will be very cool. Yeah, I, I mean, hybrid does does work to an extent, because I've got... Oh yeah, I've played 
Uh, yeah, I, I've got a guy who's using his character sheet. He's got it on, I think, an iPad. No, he's got it on a tablet. I don't even know what it is, yeah. Mm. But it's fine. He He's happy working off that. He's got paper copy for backup. He's happily switching away. And I am creatively indifferent because, uh, from my point of view, they know, he, he knows the rules mm-hmm. and is, it, and has learned them, by the way, from the game. So it's like, I'm really happy with that. I have no complaints. Like, you know, so, sometimes people are, do, sometimes I'm getting what I want, which is people who are learning the rules, engaging with the game. I am happy because I am pretty sure I'm delivering a good time. But yeah. And I don't, I, I don't feel confident I can do that actually on a virtual tabletop. Mm. Well, in terms of hybrids, I've heard of people that will run a game in person, but they'll have mm. a screen either up or, if they're really lucky, one of those um, flat surface table screens. Oh, and yeah. have a virtual tabletop at the same time in person. Yeah. Which is kind yeah, of yeah. cool. No, I, I was at a convention and somebody, so, some mad genius had basically turned a flat screen TV into their gaming table. Mm. And they were running Foundry, and they were doing cool magic effects on the table. I'm like, yeah, My A5V group used to do that. We also did hybrid in terms of, like, a conference call. We were playing as a group, and then one player moved away but Mm. wanted to keep playing. So when we played in person, Mm. we had a computer set up, and they video conferenced in Mm. and played via that way. Uh, And and that was not the ideal, because obviously, as you can imagine comes with all the issues that anyone could imagine from that. But yeah. it was like I imagine that person gets left out of the conversation a bit as well. Though, yeah. Like, there's issues mm. there's issues with that, like but it was in that situation that you're saying, obviously it'd be ideal for me to be there in person, but hey, this is better than not being there at no. all and not being involved in any way. So it was a, a make it work situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about virtual tabletops? I like them. I'm interested in the future of them i would like as peter would say them to be more accessible for indie publishers to use no anything any last thoughts peter no no okay and that was this week's episode of morris's unofficial yeah. tabletop rpg talk show yeah and i'm gonna carry on using albert rodeo um the albert rodeo version one is now open source as well so you can take it and you know have your own version of it if you want which is kind of cool Okay, like I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think I would like to see games restricted to computer game computer people. A lot of game designers work in computing because the skill sets overlap a lot. I don't work in computers. I am learning a lot of new skills, which I am not very good at. In order to do stuff like so, like I say, layout. Uh, sorting art, licensing, all of that I have to work with. I, I, I literally do not have time, not I've got to say inclination to throw myself at learning how to do this sort of thing for computers. Like, maybe if like I got a really compelling use case, but... Uh, sp- yeah, what, what I meant is something like maybe something like EN World could host an instance of it for the community sort of thing to use, sure. or something like that. I, I don't think it would get used because there's Albert Rodeo 2 out there, and why would you not just use that instead? But, you know, um, yeah, it's just interesting that it is open source and you can do that. That's all. Yeah, I, I, I'll go to where it's where where I've got some sort of thing, and mm. also I, where I've got like access to the user interfaces that I need. Mm. And I'm really struggling to find those. Yeah. yeah, I find like yeah. that learning curve wise as well. Mm. Like learning a new virtual tabletop is like learning a new RPG, but harder. Oh, much harder yeah. because it's fiddlier. Yeah. Um, and I've tended to find that the online tutorials for virtual tabletops aren't always the best in, in teaching how to use things. 
Um, so I, 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 I find some of them quite, quite fiddly and unintuitive to learn how to use. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is a problem. Which is again uh, why I end up doing Albert Rojo because I don't have to learn anything. I just sort of plonk on a map and some tokens and I'm done. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of space. <laughs> a lot of space for that sort of thing as well. Mm. It's just like finding a, a good tutorial. But yeah, it, it, it's tricky. And I'm, I'm impatient as well. I don't really enjoy setting stuff. I, I'm, I'm finding good, doc- good documentation because everything's on a Discord. Mm. And it's like, that is no good to anyone that you keep all your stuff on a Discord. So that's saying that will turn into a rant about keeping all your information on Discord. But honestly, it's a terrible way to distribute or disseminate information. It's not searchable. You won't find it. You won't be discovered by people if you do that. Um, it's very hard no. to find it. And this, it's is what, sort of, this is what web pages were designed for, and they're still really useful for that. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? They're still oh. the best tool for that. <laughs> after yeah, all these years, yeah. after 30 years or whatever, web pages yeah. are still the best tool for that sort of thing. Well, until AI fills us all with uh, searching. Until ChatGPT is doing it instead, yeah. <laughs> Doing it badly is just like, well, this is word slurry. Um, useful. And of course, uh, there's, uh, there's a chap called Marcus Hutchins, uh, a chap who invented the WannaCry virus. That's uh, so an interesting life. He's quite a big noise in information security at the moment. Mm. And he points out that currently we're undergoing a period of copyright laundering, mm. which is where. <laughs> I like the yeah, phrase. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah, yeah, I know it. Yeah, but, but it makes intuitive sense. But if you know anything about it, you're like, oh, okay, so they're not like, Breaking people's copyright because this is a new technology which changes it, but there is rapidly becoming zero incentive for people to create and put out new information online because a quote search engine unquote I use those quote marks because that's not the language learning model that is uh, will scrape your content, turn it into something that isn't quite right, and people will be quite happy with that apparently. Mm. And you know if you've had trouble using Google, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, but we, we we had an episode talking about that a while back, didn't we? And yeah, the well, sort of yeah. things that could be done to mitigate yeah. it. And yeah, it's an ongoing and quite frankly escalating threat to the creative industries. I think I think the big companies will stomp on that when it starts hurting them. Is what's going to happen. I think that's the only way that's going to get solved. It's going to be like Disney and people like that will say, right, we have to put a stop to this because it's hurting Mickey Mouse. <laughs> that's Don't it. hurt I mean, Mouse. yeah, that's how it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah no, no, you're right. That's why I laughed because, yeah, yeah. Are we are we done talking about virtual tabletop? I think we are. All right. I think we are. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. Mm, That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. Quick question for you, Jess. Do you think you might be able to do more Tony Robinson or more Hugh Laurie um, has all the voices? I think think I'm more more Hugh Laurie end of the scale 
Fine. Oh, oh, cool. Uh, if you grab the soldier, and I'll try and grab the private. And do my best. <laughs> you grab my private. Thank you very much. Do, do my best bald rookie impression. <laughs> It's not very good, but I'll do my best. So you just want me to be... <laughs> I'll do my V's voice now. You just want... Just posh, you just, yeah, yeah. You just want me to be posh a posh top. Blackadder <laughs> Black didn't actually uh, pop into my head when I wrote this, but now you've said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 